0: well good morning everybody thank you all so much for being here this morning it's good to see all of you uh regulars and visitors thank you so much for coming out and in case you don't know me my name is joel i'm one of the pastors here at res city um and we have been working through the book of ephesians here for the last um few months and we are we're nearing the end we're actually in our third to last sermon here if i if i remember right so just a few more uh in in the sermon series and um we kind of are also in the middle, like ending up maybe like a little mini uh, series within the series. Uh, Paul has been talking about uh, what's typically called the household code uh, within the Book of Ephesians, which is a set of of three different uh, exhortations to kind of three different uh, social relations that kind of take place within the uh, the first century household. Um, and um, these are like distinctives for how the people of God, people who are a part of the story that Paul has been uh, developing throughout the book of Ephesians, this is what the social relations between uh, these people are supposed to look like, the distinctives of the Christian church uh, in their everyday uh, normal lives. And so we've talked about uh, husband-wife relations, uh, child-parent relations, and today we're actually going to be talking uh, about slavery, um, slaves, slaves and masters. Um. In the first century church, um, oh, hello. This is, uh, this is not my sermon, in case you are wondering. Um, there we go. Um, so in the first century, uh, um, everything kind of runs uh, through the household, right? And so that includes um, work relations. And so uh, family households are, are typically... Uh, the place where work is done. So different households have different trades, different uh, goods or products or services that they provide. And so um, households, uh, typically have, especially the ones that are, can afford it, um, have uh, slaves that are a part of the household. They be, kind of become a part of the household. And everything kind of runs through that, through the masters who are the members of the family. And so, in a sense, slaves are kind of, kind of ad- adopted into the family and often adopt the faith of the family. So Paul is here addressing um, both parts of that household. And t- typically at a, at a first century church church, um, if you came to it, if you were a master and your family was a part of the church, the slaves would come as well. Um, now, I, I realize, you know, touching the, the topic of slavery is, is, a, is a tough topic to, to approach, right? Like, we have a very tortured history of that in, 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 our, um, in our America and in, in the West in general, more generally speaking. Uh, slavery is a little different in the first century. It wasn't necessarily permanent. Um, slaves had the opportunity to gain freedom in, in some instances. Often, slaves are very highly skilled, maybe... Um, even more skilled in a certain trade or more educated than their masters. Um, And and it's even something that people sometimes uh, volunteer for because of a circumstance of life that they're in. And it's not necessarily as, as racially defined as we are used to, to viewing slavery in, in today's world, right? You, you would sometimes have a group of people or a race of people that Rome would conquer and the majority of them would go into slavery, but it wasn't necessarily the same where one uh, group of people are slaves. Now all that said... Slavery still sucks. (laughs) Slavery is still slavery. It doesn't really matter uh, if the particulars are a little different from uh, culture to culture. Slavery is still like a total abomination, right? And like I said, we're still dealing with the effects of slavery in our own culture um, more than 150 years after it, right? Today, we're still really wrestling with the impact of what slavery has done for us as a society, right? Black Lives Matter, uh, Charlottesville, um, just the last election cycle really brought a lot of that to the forefront uh, and even the issues of, of race in our culture like we're talking a lot about immigration and how we should view different people groups um, within our country or trying to enter our country so this is still a really important topic and slavery is still a really uh, tough thing to wrestle through so I realize um, that as we enter into uh, this passage, in case you're not familiar with it, you might be a little, it might be a little jarring to hear that Paul does not come out and tell these masters to free their slaves, right? We might, we might hear that, and we might be a little bit like offended by that or, or a little bit upset that that's the case. And we might think, you know, like, is, this, is there a problem with my Bible or something like that because Paul doesn't come out and say this? Um, I think we can all unequivocally say, like, and agree, and we're going to talk about why, why Paul doesn't say this in the passage, but we should unequivocally say there should be no tolerance for slavery, right? Christians in all times and all places should not have a tolerance for slavery. They should not have a, a, a tolerance for a system where one group of people are seen as property, Right, that should not fit within within Christianity, and and that's obviously a part of our uh, lineage as Christians too. Right, when we go back into that time period, um, there certainly were Christians, you know, that were on one side saying, "Let's set the slaves free," but there were Christians pushing back against that too, right? And that's just a part that we have to live with as Christians. and it's something that maybe makes this a little uncomfortable for us. So, I do want to spend some time talking about why Paul wouldn't come out and say that, right? In a way that just that says, just because Paul isn't saying that doesn't mean the Bible is like a racist, old, backwards document, right? Like, it's a lot more complicated than that. And Paul lives in a world that is a lot more complicated than like the black and white world that we tend to want to live in a lot of times. Um, we need to be willing to kind of enter into some of the gray here with him to understand uh, why he would or wouldn't say what he does, okay? So we're going to take some time to do that, but as we do, we'll kind of start to see, like once we dig past the surface there, we kind of start to see this explosive depth charge that Paul talks about, which which while not uh, impacting the, the surface reality, is kind of setting off something beneath the surface that is going to eventually... Uh, uh, undermine undermine slavery in such a way that we're going to end up in a place like we're at today, where slavery is completely seen as as abominable, right? So let let's let's get into it, okay? So first of all, I just want to uh, point out like it's kind of ludicrous to think that Paul would be in favor of slavery uh, just by the virtue of the fact, not not because you know he he's he's up to date on like all of our post enlightenment. Uh, narratives of liberation and stuff, but because he's a Jew, right? N.T. Wright talks about this, Paul, faced with a dilemma concerning a slave and a master, would naturally reach, not for our post-enlightenment narratives of liberation, but for the material on this very subject within his own scriptures, which, after all, told their own large-scale narrative of the freeing of an entire nation of slaves. So, like, if we remember our you know, what, what's come before this in our Bible, we remember that one of the key moments in the entire history of Paul's people, the Jews, and one of the key moments uh, in the story of of this God that Paul is worshiping and talking to us about in the book of Ephesians is the liberation of a group of slaves, right? The freedom of a group of slaves from their oppression, right? So so for for Paul to kind of all of a sudden be okay with slavery, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Like, it would be kind of ludicrous to think that he's okay with, with this, right? Just by virtue of the fact of, of what he's coming from. Um, and, and obviously, uh, if you kind of delve into the history of the African-American church, you see the importance that the Exodus has kind of played uh, for them, back uh, going back to that, their time in slavery and also still today. That still forms a big part uh, of the African-American church because they so identify with the people of Israel, right so so for for that reason alone it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think that paul is is like okay with the system of slavery and thinks that this is a good thing and wants to kind of keep it going in the way that it's going okay and in fact paul actually writes a letter uh to a slave owner it, it, the book of philemon it's it's one of the shortest books in your bible uh, it's under 30 verses total it's just one chapter Paul's actually writing a letter to a slave owner named uh, Philemon um, to kind of talk about his relations with a runaway slave uh, named Onesimus. Um, and he actually, there's a part in the letter where he kind of hints at, uh, he says, perhaps you'll do more than I'm saying, right? Which which some scholars, you know, it's a little bit vague, but you can definitely read it as Paul's saying, you know, maybe you'll go a step further and you'll free this slave, okay? So, so it's in Paul, it's kind of hinted at uh, there that, Perhaps Paul is kind of goading on Onesimus to, to set this slave free. All right, So that's all there in our Bible, but it gets a little more complicated as we move on. There's another place where where Paul talks about slavery in 1 Timothy 6.1, and I think it gives us a little bit more insight into how Paul is thinking about this. Um, He says, all of those who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Now that last part of the sentence is what I want to really hone in on, because the first part kind of... of, accords a little bit with what we'll be talking about uh, in the passage today. But this second part here is, is not necessarily in the passage. And Paul is concerned uh, that the relations between slave and masters look a certain way because he understands that that will reflect on God's name and that their teaching uh, might be slandered if there's a certain, um, a certain view of Christians that gets out into society based on their, like how, how they talk about slaves and masters. Um, So Klein Snodgrass, he's a he's a he's a a first century. He wrote a commentary on Ephesians. So he says, for the early church to advocate revolt would have been the death of the Christian movement. Um, And so this is like a really practical concern for the church here. Um, They want to spread the gospel, right? They they it's really important to them that people are willing to hear their message. And there seems to be a concern from Paul that. If they if they do if they if if uh, there's something offensive to the to the culture about their message and how they talk about slaves and masters, um, they might like not even get an audience with people to hear the message of the gospel. Okay, so that seems to be a practical uh, concern for the church. And as much as as much as we hate that idea, we might still look at that and say that's not a good enough reason. Um, it would have likely been unintelligible to many if they didn't contextualize the gospel into the culture that they're preaching the gospel to. All right? And this is a culture that is, that is formed a certain way. And so this is the reality of slavery. Slavery was, uh, for Paul, simply part of the worldview. It was how things got done. It was the electricity of the ancient world Try imagining your home or your town without the ability to plug things in and switch them on, and you will realize how unthinkable it was to them that there should be no slaves, okay? This is the worldview, N.T. Wright is saying again here, of an average first century person, right? It, it's like electricity. L- literally the world is not going to work if all of a sudden all the slaves are freed, all right? Um, Klein Snodgrass again goes on and says, in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was so much a part of life that hardly anyone thought about whether or not it might be illegitimate, okay? It's just such a part of the worldview. And if you study the rest of world history up until this point, like every single culture basically has had slavery in it. Like it was completely unthinkable or unknown to societies in the world up to this point for there to be a place where slavery doesn't exist. It's just, it's part part of the world, right? Um, Think about it like this, too. I've been, I've been thinking a lot more about climate change recently, and um, there's a lot of proposals that have been coming out for ways to kind of curb carbon emissions and stuff, and, and there's some pretty radical ones in there from time to time that are like, we should just get rid of all cars or you know, different things like that. Right, and then you have a whole group of people who are like, we can't just get rid of the way everything is done. We have to have some sort of plan for how things are going to continue on after that. Right? We can't just say, let's get rid of the bad stuff that's harming the society. We have to have some plan to make sure society still continues on. And you kind—that's kind of like what it is with slavery. Right? There has to be kind of some uh, some plan to move forward. And so if Paul had told his masters to set their slaves free, he was perhaps dooming. in addition to making their message unintelligible to the rest of the world, he was perhaps dooming the church, right? Because, again this is how the household works. This is how most of the people who are part of the church, their income would have been tied uh, to the fact that they had slaves that were helping them in the household, actually making sure their work got done. And so if you don't have people that are making money, the church is not able to even fund itself at a certain point because there are no, there are no ability to actually make sure that the, the trades or the goods that are being produced in a household are actually still happening. Okay? And, and for someone who, again, Outside of the faith who who meets these Christians and they're like, "Wait, so I have to tank my family business in order to be a Christian. no thanks I'll pass you know like that's probably how it would have been received to different people. so you have this really kind of complicated uh world that a lot of this is taking place in right and we can see Paul wrestling with the complexity p- complexities of it here where he's at all right and so um so for Paul to go and just you know start you know you know posting on the first century equivalent of Facebook and just talking about how much he hates the world around him and how terrible it is. Like, that's our response to things in, in our society today, right? It's complain about it on some social media uh, platform, right? For Paul to stick it in his letter, right? He's not actually going to get any good done either. If Paul decided to just be an activist for, for setting slaves free, like, he didn't live in a democracy, right? There's no path or platform for uh, for for social change to take place, right? For him. Like, the Ephesians aren't Caesar, right? Caesar's not going to listen to some uh, itinerant Jewish uh, minister going around telling people to set their slaves free. That's not going to cause the type of social change that we might have wished Paul was pushing for, right? And so Paul's wrestling with this kind of daily, uh, daily concern. Um, now eventually... Right? The impact of the, the spread of the gospel, the spread of the Christian message um, is going to be such an explosive thing in how it talks about people and how it values different people. And we'll see this in the passage once we actually dive into it. It's such, a, such an explosive thing that it becomes the catalyst uh, Eventually, for freeing slaves, even though it takes place much longer after than you know we wish it would have, right? Um, in 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 the United Kingdom, William Wilberforce is a very famous figure for his um, for his. Pushing to see uh, freedom for the slaves in England get done, and he's doing it very openly because of his Christian convictions. And we even have some good evidence that pretty much the first people uh, in the Roman Empire to ever question slavery, just a few hundred years after this is, after Paul is writing here. By the time Christians are starting to come into power in the Roman Empire, we start to see uh, people start to really question, again, this, this system of, of the world that has basically never been questioned up until that point. It seems like Christians are the first ones to really start to, to get up there and say, hey, does it really make sense that we're doing this? If we really believe this is true of people because of what we believe, why are we still, why are we still doing this? And we have the power to actually do something about it now. We start to see that that actually uh, takes place, all right? Now, all that is, is what happens down the road because of some of the stuff that Paul is writing now, okay? And so, and, and, and one other thing on top of all that, Paul lives in a world where just setting slaves free is actually not always better for the slave because um, a slave is a part of a household that, and that's where they're, that's where they're like able to get fed and to kind of have work and to get training and to, to save up money on their own for, for maybe they will be freed someday. But just throwing a slave out on their own is actually a lot of times not helping the slave out at all. All right. So Paul has the ability uh, to really impact these slaves' lives in a good way in how he talks about what the master-slave relationship should look like. All right? And we're going to see that now uh, as we actually move into the passage here. Okay, So Ephesians uh, 6, verses 5 and 6. Paul starts out addressing the slaves. He's going to address both slaves and masters in this passage. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when the eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Okay, so first of all, let's just pause and reflect on that Paul addressing slaves at all is a really big deal, right? For a group of people who are seen as, as, like Aristotle put it, tools, for him to address them is a big deal, and it gives them a dignity that they would not have normally had. Right? To address them and to actually uh, uh, talk about them as people who have the ability to grow and to uh, become better people is actually to give them a lot of dignity. I think in our, in our culture today, we tend to look at victims as people who are com- you know, completely innocent, and we, we shouldn't ever put anything on them at all. But in a way, we're actually like taking dignity away from them, and we're not calling them as human as the other people we would tell to change. Because to be human is to be people who grow and to, who change right, consistently throughout their life. And so to not like, put this on the slaves, that they, they can act a certain way, even though they're the oppressed within, uh, within this system, is to give them a certain dignity that they probably would not have had. Paul is actually giving them a ton of dignity. And I think that's a really big deal, right? I think we should really think about think about that, all right. So, what does he actually tell them? What what is the content of this of this dignity-giving instruction that he gives them? Um, he says that. Putting on the new self, which is what kind of the big theme that he's been talking about in Ephesians, right? This, the, this Christian character. You want to live a certain way if you're going to re- reflect what it means to live worthy of this calling that you've received. That's what he says in, verse, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. That means that you don't just respect your master because it serves you. You should uh, do it all the time because it shows this good new creation character and it shows that you have uh, a different master, right? Right? A master who who transcends, who is much higher than the socially contrived master that you are under. Paul continues here. um, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So notice who the slave's true master is here, Paul says. It's not their earthly masters. They shouldn't be worried about getting uh, rewards or just trying to earn the favor of their masters. They should be worried about serving Christ and worrying about the reward that they will receive from him. Okay, so what he's doing is he's completely displacing the masters, right? He's not, he's not completely undoing the social structure that they're a part of, but he's subverting it in such a way so that even if they do still kind of live within the system, they're doing it for completely different reasons than what they would have been told to do, right? They would have been told that you're a tool, you know, you have no dignity, you're supposed to follow your master because like, that's what like, low-class uh, people do. But Paul's not telling that to them. He's giving them a much more higher reason to do that, and, and he's doing it in a way that gives them uh, some dignity. Okay? And, and notice also that Jesus, as their master, as their true uh, Lord, is not one that tells them um, the way that we respond to evil in the world is by doing evil back again. Right? That is how we are, are used to responding to evil in this world. Right? That's, how, that's how we've been taught to respond to bad things. Um, and you have definitely like seen uh, people tell slaves or tell victims, uh, tell people who are oppressed to respond to their oppressors in the same evil that has been done to them. But Paul does not say that. He says that the way to fight evil is with good. Um, the way to live in this kingdom with this new master is to show them respect, to show them love, to show them honor even though that seems crazy. Because this is the way that we respond when we follow a crucified Lord, right? This is the way that we are called to respond as well when he is our master. So Paul uh, moves on from addressing slaves to now addressing the masters. He says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So now we, we're kind of accustomed right now, if we, if we just look at politics, to thinking people who are, who are rich or have power basically like are untouchable, like no justice is done against people who have enough money or the right connections or the right names uh, to stay fat and happy. We just can't really do anything about people in that place. Um, that's not how God works, right? He does not say that there are certain people who, because of their social status, because of how much money they have, they're just better than everybody else, okay? Okay? There is an equal playing field and whether you're master or you're slave, uh, whether you're man or woman, whether you're Jew or Gentile, this is how Paul talks about it, and he would say now, if whether you're a common citizen or you're the president, it doesn't matter, you're still, uh, you're still held to the same uh, value, right? There is no one who's better than anybody else. There's no favoritism uh, with this master. And so because of that, I want you to treat your slaves in the same way. Which is to respect and fear them, to have sincerity of heart towards them, to try to win their favor. And he explicitly says here: there's nothing, there's no no favoritism with this God. Okay? In in this kingdom of man, right, we may determine people's worth or value based on different identities that they may have: slave, free, skin color, man, woman. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. Okay? And so even though you're still living, in a sense, in this socially contrived system um you're supposed to do it in a completely different way. I think it's interesting too how how Paul um refers to Jesus as master here. Like I can't think of any I didn't actually do the research on this, but I don't I can't think of any places where where Paul or anyone else calls Jesus our master. Normally it's lord, right? Or king or something like that. But in this passage he specifically calls Jesus our master because what he's saying uh is that what he's saying is that we have a different master in heaven who completely subverts everything, okay? So this is, the way that, this is the way that it normally would have looked. You have the master, and he or she is on top of the slave, right? And that's just how it works. That's how the world works. And that's the system, the socially contrived system they live in. In this system, though, both slave and, quote-unquote, master have a different master, and his name is Jesus. And so while they may... Uh, inhabit this space where, where socially this is how things work and, and you have a title and a label that's applied to you, in actuality, in this new kingdom that God has created, both slave and master are an equal, on an equal playing fo- field with Jesus as their true master above them. That's what Paul is saying here. And this is like a, a really radical thing. I think, I think like we read this and we think, like yeah, of course you know we we are all about equality right we we've we've grown up learning about this since we were kids and and so this doesn't seem like that radical of a thing like we live in a democracy everyone's vote matters supposedly and we all kind of have the same you know like input on who rules us but that's not the that's not at all the world that Paul lives in he lives in a very hierarchical world and so for him to say this is a complete uh completely shaking up the social relations that he's writing to and it would have for sure likely been very offensive to a lot of masters to read this right? It, it would have likely, I'm, I'm guessing that, like, Paul would have gotten some follow-up emails about this from some concerned masters saying, like, don't you realize if we give dignity to these people, like, how bad that might be, right? You you don't know what's going to happen down the road here. And I think Paul understands exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. So let's move to some application here, okay? Just like uh Paul shakes up the social relations that he, in the world that he lives in. We should be people that like see the gospel shake up our social relations as well. Okay? Now, like like I've been saying throughout this slavery is a completely socially contrived system, right? It's where where a group in one in one place says, you know, we're going to decide that this group of people are, you know, have this type of value and we're going to you know, live as if that's true and it becomes so ingrained in the reality uh, of the culture that it becomes second nature and people grow up and it's the, it's the, it's the air that they breathe, it's the water that they swim in we kind of have, have a hard time un- understanding where our biases come into play with this stuff when we have grown up in a certain culture but it's still socially contrived. right? It gives people value based on their social status and this passage is a completely leveling one. And it says, you can't fully escape how the culture sees you based on its metrics or value, but as much as you are able to, right, within, within the world that you live in, understand the complexities and the grayness of the world you live in, as much as you're able to do this, you should be disregarding that and see things from the level of your master, Jesus, who's in heaven who is our true master, right? Who who is the only one above us and who levels everyone uh, who is with him at at the same level underneath him. We should live within the church specifically as a people who believe that that's true, right? Right? and, and so there are all these different ways today that we, you know, obviously we don't have slavery anymore, but we still, like, ascribe to people uh, certain social uh, markers that give them value. Whether or not we, we understand it or not, we still do that pretty often, all right? And, and we can't embrace that anymore. We have to embrace a different way of living, a completely different way of living, one that might, might sometimes be offensive to us, just like it would have been offensive to slaves and masters. Right, we see people by gender. We see people by skin color. We see them by socioeconomic status, by education, by what job they have, by what they wear, um, by where we're born. Right? That, that is becoming increasingly more and more important to us in this country and where we come from, like whether or not we're citizens, Sins, right? That is how we're taught to view different people and we can't view people that way. As people who have this, this master, this is the way that we're supposed to live. This is what looks like uh, to be a slave. Okay? We can't assign good guy or bad guy status to people because of their skin color. And, and this, goes, this goes both ways, right? Now, if you, if you go to the right blogs, you'll see this play out in different ways, right? For sure, right, we are, we are tempted to view uh, immigrants right now as people who don't have value, right? In some places, right? And and because of their skin color, because of where they come from, or how much value they uh, add to our society, we're supposed to view them that way, right? But you can go to some other blogs now, and they're, it's gaining popularity where, it, you know, it's now white people are the problem, right? And it's I'm not saying that, like, white people haven't messed things up in a lot of ways. I'm just saying that's the same game, right? If we continue to see people based on their skin color and ascribe them some value or some, or some motive just based on their skin color, like, that is a, that's, that's a part of the game that we're not called to play as Christians, right? Because of who our master in heaven is, right? So we can't get caught up in that game as much as it, as much as it seems to kind of inundate us or pull us in different directions, all right? Um, second point of application today, in your work, work to honor Jesus as king. This is a little bit of a, of a different application point, but this is the primary way that Paul is addressing um, that Paul is addressing like the, the work relationship in the first century. Because like I said, like, it's not like you have you know, corporations that run things and, and different things. Everything is mostly run through the family household. So he's talking about what it looks like in your work here too. This is actually the, one of the main places we would go, kind of surprising as it might be, to kind of talk, to, to look and see what Paul has to say for people in their work. And what, what he's saying is, work to honor Jesus as our king. right? Um... And if Paul is calling... Just think about this. If Paul is calling slaves to honor their masters and work hard for their master, Jesus, what do you think he would say to you who just work 40 hours a week and get paid really well to do it? Right? Just just think about that for a second. I I think if Paul can say this to, to masters, like, or to slaves... I think that we can view our work as tough as it might be some days, right? As still worthy of honoring our, our bosses and still worthy of trying and working hard to honor Jesus as our King. Okay, that's the ex- that's the, the application here. And, and our work has a lot of value, and I wish I could dig into this more. And it's actually a really important thing to us at Red City is to like try to disciple and help us to think about our work, right? That's a really important part of our life. You know, if you work 40 hours a week, you, you might be spending more time there than you are at home, right? And so what you do with that time is super important. I wish I had more time to delve into that today and I don't, but just, just believe me when I say we will be talking about this more in the future. Like it's an important value for us here at Rest City to, to really dive into that, okay? But one thing I do want to say is this one way we, that we can serve our master as good workers so that the work of the business flourishes and so we bear good witness to our master, Right? I've heard I've heard different places or I've heard different people tell me that they their bosses are not Christians but they're excited to hire Christians because they know Christians are going to be hard workers and they're going to like respect their bosses and just they, they just want Christians to work for them because they recognize that Christians tend to work differently. They're not they're they, you know they, they have a different value system and like I love hearing that because I think that sh- what what Paul would want for us to be to be known as, right? If, if as much as possible because that ref- doesn't, you know, that reflects well on our master, right? It doesn't necessarily make us look good. It reflects well on who we serve, who we follow. All right? And our third third application point here is I don't want us to forget the real problem of sin, okay? Maybe maybe you kind of like you you're still like a little bit upset that Paul didn't come out and, and condemn slavery and say tell the masters to, to free their slaves or, or tell slaves to just run away from their masters if they wouldn't do it because it was a totally invalid system right maybe you're still a little bothered by that um, I want to like p- push a little bit deeper here about again maybe another reason why Paul doesn't do this okay um, and I th- think about think about it with weeds because it's weed season right if you own a home you' already have probably seen a bunch of weeds popping up I know we have in our yard um, and they're just the most annoying thing in the world and i Totally privileged because I can whine about weeds up here, right? But, um, like, weeds suck, right? Now, obviously, we all know that just popping a weed out, pulling a bunch of them out, just kind of walking around our yard and pulling them out is not actually going to get rid of the weeds in your yard, right? Like, new weeds will pop up somewhere else in your yard. And so, like, to, to get rid of weeds, you have to really, like, go to the root of the problem. You have to pull them out root and stem. You have to, you have to make sure that there's no way that they're spreading more of their uh, weed germs all over your yard and growing more weeds right okay that's the way to deal with weeds sin is like a weed right um it pops up in all sorts of different ways and slavery is one of like slavery is like one of the biggest weeds that you could see pop up right it's like the most ugly weed that you could have in your yard but just pulling that one weed out is not going to necessarily solve the problem of sin right we got rid of slavery in this country And we are still dealing with the effects of it afterwards, 150 years later. We had Jim Crow laws pop up in the South after slavery was done right? We, we still had segregation in schools, we still had Charlottesville happen just, a, what, two years ago now, um, and racism continues to dominate our landscape, right? So it's not like getting rid of the institution of slavery just fixed all the problems, right? It was, it was important. It was, don't, don't hear me say anything other than it was incredibly important, and of course it was like had to be done, but we still see the sin uh, that was behind slavery popping up in other ways in our world today. Right? And so, if that's all true, then something deeper needs to be done than just abolishing like, unjust systems in the world. Right? Something more radical has to take place uh, than just getting rid of the, the social systems that we live in. And when we look at the cross, we see this specifically as the mission of Jesus. Right now, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, and he shows up to a, a, an oppressed people group uh, living in 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 Judea and in Palestine and in Israel. The territory of Israel, and they've been under the thumb of, of other nations for, for years and years and years, right? And there are like different revolts that take place at different times. And the average you know, uh, Jewish person on the street is waiting for a Messiah to come because that's a part of kind of their, uh, their scripture, their hope um, as a Jewish person that God is going to send someone to be their king and to set them free from all the evil in the world around them. So when Jesus shows up, and, and there starts to kind of be these rumblings that he might be this Messiah character that they've been waiting for, there's a natural expectation from even Jesus' closest disciples that he's going like to start a revolution and they're going to eventually you know, get enough people head to Rome, overthrow Caesar, and then Jesus is just going to take his place on that throne, right? That's like the natural expectation, right? People, again, living in a world dominated by Rome, this is the same empire that Paul is writing into when he writes about slavery here. But Jesus did not fulfill their expectations at all, right? He said to them, like, I understand, like, like how hard it is to live in this world, right? Like, I get it. I grew up in this world myself. I understand, like, what it's like to be a part of living in this oppressive uh, regime, okay? In order to really, truly deal with Rome, because Rome is just one rome right like like if you look at the history of israel there's like 10 or like not 10 not actually 10 but several empires before them that did the same thing to israel right you're just getting rid of one is just going to pop up another one jesus said there's something deeper i need to do about the sin behind rome and the only way to deal with that is on the cross that's the only way we can truly deal with the problem of sin is by by this work on the cross that i'm going to do the problem that leads us to value each other in all these evil ways, uh, the, the problem that manifests itself in all these different things that pop up in all these different places um, is sin itself. And the only way that Jesus could deal with that is by giving himself up on the cross for us okay, to defeat sin and then to rise again someday to give us hope. Uh, that everything evil is going to be undone someday. And to see that happen in the present through how we live uh, as people, right, how we live in in our social relationships now, to live differently, to see that spread out, and then to one day have this hope that Christ himself will return and undo all of it, right? Completely make this brand new creation, raise us up in new life and make this brand new world, right? Where, where something like, something like slavery just is something like from a bad dream, like that we half remember, right? That's the goal, that's the hope that we have, all right? And that's the kind of Messiah that I want to have, and that's the kind of like hope that I want to be animated by, now, Brian Bryan Stevenson is—he founded this thing called the Equal Justice Initiative, um, which is a, which is a group that helps uh, helps wrongly convicted people of crimes uh, to kind of to have the opportunity to get set free. And, and a lot of times, this takes place because of race, right? And so, Brian Stevenson is someone. Miles actually turned me on to him. And there's this one quote that uh, that he said that Miles heard that was just really good, and I think really. Uh, like speaks to us as where we're at right now, right? It's people who are who are stuck in a world that where things like slavery exist, where things like oppression and injustice exist, right? The thing that we have as Christians that is different than those around us is hope, and so Brian Stevenson talks about how for us as Christians, hope is our superpower. Hope is the thing that spurs us on to go uh, and to 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 see the gospel impact take place in the different spaces that we're in and to give us the fuel to keep doing that even when it's tough. Right, even when it when it when it's not easy for us, and so we need to be people that that have this hope that Jesus has dealt with the root of the problem of evil, and that now we're people that are going around popping out weeds in different places, but we can rest assured that that weed has been taken care of, the root of that weed has been taken care of, and and eventually one day like it will be completely undone. Right, and. Us having this hope allows us to go out and to work for that in different spaces and not be overcome by, uh, by like how hard it seems in a lot of times. Okay? So um, let's use that superpower. Right? Let, let's not be afraid to embrace that and to see it change where we're at, just like it did for, for Paul and for slaves and masters in the book of Ephesians. Right, we're going to enter into a time of communion, and, and we do this every week where we remember like physically by, by taking of the bread and the cup remembering that Jesus died uh, on the cross to defeat sin and death, right? To set us free from our own sin and to defeat sin and death. We do that every week in remembrance of that event because that is the hope that we have that animates us, right? So that's what we do every week to remind ourselves consistently of this thing that Christ has done on our behalf. I'm going to invite the worship band up. I'm going to pray, and then we will partake in this time as well. We we'll enter into a time of worship during that time, um, where you can worship God through song, and and also if um, if you feel led to 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 respond to God in in giving, we actually have a box in the very back, kind of behind the sound booth, and you can um, you can go on over there. So, um, let's pray as we close here and enter into this time of worship. Father, we thank you that uh, you have. Um, given us hope, and you have you have undone the sin um, that lurks behind uh, all of the evil in the world, all the oppressive systems that have existed for for centuries. God, you hated that just as much as we do, and you did the thing that we could never have done in going and uprooting that, and then giving us this gospel message of hope that we may be people animated by that who go out who preach that to people and and who who see that transform uh, themselves and the people in those situations, God, I pray that we would be people of hope who would go and not be afraid to uh, to shake up um, the social the social places that we go into with the gospel Lord. I pray that we would care more about our master in heaven than any master that we might have on earth, any people on earth who may cause us to fear uh, living that out. Give us that hope and that and that energy and that endurance as we go out and be people of that hope. Uh, We pray this in your son's name. Amen.